Thank you, preacher man. All right, we're in Matthew chapter number 18. Matthew chapter number 18. I want to say it's an honor to be here. It always is. And uh, we're looking forward to Jubilee. That's usually one of the only times we get down as far as being at the church. And occasionally we'll have a situation come up like today where we're um, visiting with family and things through a holiday or something and get to stay over. And here's the thing. I... I, when I go to church, if I'm a, I don't even like to miss my church. Uh, I just don't. And I, and I agree with what your pastor said this morning, that uh, you ought to feel like your church is the best church in all the world. Uh, if you don't feel that way, you ought to probably find another church. And, um, but I, so I, I hate missing my church. But when I do have to miss, and I'm going to attend another church, you see, the thing of it is, and here's what you need to understand about your preacher we give out and give out and give out and give out and give out. And sometimes giving out gives you out. And so when I go somewhere, whether it's a camp meeting and, or if I'm just in a service like today, I want to be able to go somewhere, even if I'm scheduled to preach, where I feel like I'm going to get something out of that service. And I guess what I mean in other words is that there's places sometimes you go and your preacher could testify to this where through the service, you're going to get nothing. If you don't get anything out of the preaching, you're not going to get anything at all. I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to be cocky or arrogant or anything with that statement. It's just every church is not like what you have. And, um, and so this morning, it didn't, and tonight, I don't care if this thing got plumbed out the banks and I didn't say anything. What I'm trying to say is I wouldn't have to say anything to have been helped today. And I thank God for it. I can go home after what's been said, testified, and sung about uh, and preached about this morning. What a great message this morning. Uh, and be, I've been helped. I've been challenged, refreshed, and renewed, ready to go back and face another year and try to do something for the glory of God uh, before Jesus comes. I do want to say again, thank you for, for allowing me the privilege to, to be here and preacher to be in your pulpit. And uh, I love your preacher. And we've been friends for years and if you have anything negative to say about your pastor, first of all, you need to get right with God. Second of all, don't say it to me or my wife. I will find you. If you say, even if you sneak it in and say it to my wife or kids, I will hunt you down like the scoundrel you are. I'm going back to Virginia, friend. I don't have to stay here and face the law, all right? Uh, don't talk about your preacher to me. I love him. I love his wife, his children. Uh, Brother Brian preached for me this week. I didn't get to see the baby. Man, and, uh, but I will. And uh, I just thank God for what he's doing here. It's always a joy to come back and see new faces and then to see faces that have been here for years and years and years that have been faithful. And uh, I love you and I thank God for it. I don't want to dampen the service, but before I read my text, I do want to say this. We lost a great soldier of the faith today. Uh, Brother Frank Caceres went home to be with the Lord this morning. And uh, if you knew Brother Frank at all, what a jewel, what a soldier of Jesus Christ he was. And he, he is now at home with his Lord. But you talking about a void. And um, I want to say this just very quickly. Um, we are losing some men that are that's going to leave a real void in this world when it comes to holy living, Holy Ghost preaching, Holy Ghost living. And if my generation don't get a hold of something in a hurry, we're going to be in real trouble. 
We have, preacher mentioned this morning, we're depending on personality and performance. And a man can get up with a power of God on his life and people look at him like a calf looking at a new gate. And it's not that way so much here. But we're one, just one blink away. Brother Gravely mentioned it this morning. You can blink your eyes and lose everything Bible Baptist has stood for all these years. You make one bad decision. Preacher, let one thing go on. I'm going to tell you something for the man of God. Let me, let me say this to you. I don't know why I'm saying all of what I'm saying, but you, here's how you pray for your pastor. If you don't think there's pressure to change, you're kidding yourself. Every day he gets up, every time he mounts the pulpit, every time he walks in the door, he feels that pressure to change. He could do two things with his personality and his charismatic spirit about him. He could do two or three things and this building would overflow tomorrow and you'd, but you'd lose everything this church has ever had. And it'd be better, friend, it'd be better to have a lower number and still have him as to have to build four buildings this size and never have him visit you again. Just stay with the old-time way. That's one reason I love coming here is because it's, it's old-fashioned, it's Holy Ghost, and that's what we need. I love you. Matthew chapter number 18, Lord, we need you tonight. I love this place, and I love these people, and I love this preacher and his dear wife and his children. They've meant the world to us through the years and I pray an extra special blessing upon them and ask you to touch them greatly in this new year. Touch this church in a mighty way. Lord Jesus, I pray they would never compromise, never back up, never let off. But to go forward for the glory of God, give them the greatest year they've ever had. I pray, God, that souls will be saved and lives will be changed. Eternity will be affected for the glory of God through this place for Jesus' sake, give Pastor Gravely wisdom to lead this flock. Help him, Lord, Miss Gravely, touch him. Give him strength of mind, body, and spirit. Help us now as we look into your word. May you touch me as your servant tonight and help me, Lord, I pray. Touch my mind and help me to think clearly your thoughts. Touch my lips and help me to speak the truth of God in love and empower demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God. I desire no glory, no praise of men but my heart's desire is to please you and do your will tonight. Make much of yourself through your servant this evening. And later on, I'll thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Matthew 18, look with me in verse number 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. When he had begun to reckon, he was brought unto him, and uh, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for so much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, 
saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him unto the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Watch verse 35. I don't think sometimes we get the weight of what God is saying to us in his word. I don't think sometimes we understand the gravity of what God is trying to relay to you and I as we read our Bible and as we listen to preaching. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Now, without taking any commentary, without pulling any book off the shelf, without seeking some man's wisdom or knowledge who's got a bunch of degrees and titles and and, and dots and things after his name or before his name, can we just take what the Bible says at face value? You know what the Bible's telling you and I that we should do to one another, toward one another, with one another? We need to learn how to forgive. I want to preach a few minutes tonight as we enter into this new year, good Lord willing, in just a few hours. There's one thing you're going to have, I promise you, I don't care how young you are, how old you are, how saved you are, there's one thing you're going to need somebody to practice towards you this year because you're going to fail. You're going to let somebody down. You're going to hurt somebody's feelings. You're going to get out of the way or something. Then not only that, but you're going to have to exercise what I'm preaching on tonight towards somebody else. And I found out, Brother Gravely, it's not the first part of what I just said that we're worried about because we always want somebody to be willing and ready to forgive us. But it's the second portion of what I said tonight that brings it all home and that's you and I learning how to forgive someone when they have wronged you and me. I'm just simply preaching tonight on the subject of forgiveness. Here's what I do know about forgiveness, what I found out in my own life and what I found out through the scriptures. Just three things real quickly before I get into the message itself. But here, the one forgiveness is one of the greatest struggles in life. There's not many struggles, friend, that's greater than learning how to forgive someone else. 
I can forgive me all day long and I want you to forgive me all day long because I know I'm not perfect and I know I'm going to fail and I'm, I sure want people to be patient with me and learn to forgive me. But oh, when I am supposed to forgive, it is a struggle to learn how to forgive people. You know why? Because when you have to forgive, that means there's pain involved, there's people involved, and there's perception involved. And buddy, it is a struggle. It always has been a struggle and it always will be a struggle to your flesh to learn how to forgive. It's not only one of the greatest struggles in life, but forgiveness is one of the great necessities of life. It is an absolute necessity. You know why? Because you will be wronged. You will be disappointed. You will be let down. You will be hurt. So in knowing those things, you, and it's amazing, we know those things are going to happen, Brother Danny, but even though we know them, it seems like when they happen to us, they catch us so off guard. And all of a sudden, we're faced with what are we going to do? It shouldn't be what are we going to do. We should immediately know when those things happen in our life that it's the avenue of forgiveness that we need to take. There shouldn't be any other option in our life. But I do know this, without this necessity, without forgiveness, there can only be anger and there can only be bondage and there can only be bitterness. And there are hundreds of thousands of people sitting in Baptist churches who are bitter today because they chose not to travel the road of forgiveness in their life when something happened and they have become angry and angry led them into a bondage and that bondage led them into bitterness and they are bitter and they're mad and they can't smile and they have no joy and they have no, they have no happiness in their life. Why? Because they never learned to forgive. I've also found out that forgiveness is one of the greatest powers in all of life. It's amazing men are searching and looking and desiring to have power. But I found out that forgiveness, what everybody can do from the youngest child to the eldest adult, uh, what everybody in this building can do tonight is forgive. And it is one of the greatest powers in all of life. And it's not so much that, Brother Danny, if there's something between you and me, if I forgive you, it is a power for you. But it's not so much the power to the person that's being forgiven as it is a power to the person who's doing the forgiving. There is an amazing power in forgiveness. And I'll explain some of that as I preach to you for just a few minutes tonight. Four or five things in the text here concerning the subject of forgiveness that I want you to see. First of all... I want you to see that when it comes to the subject of forgiveness, there is a certain approach that must be taken to forgiveness. A certain approach to forgiveness. Back up in the chapter with me to verse number 15. The Bible said, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, take with thee two or three more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If he neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. There is a certain approach to forgiveness. And I would say this approach is to be a private approach. Forgiveness is a matter of privacy. 
And oh, how we tend to mess that up. Notice the Bible is emphatic when it says, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, the first thing that we are told is that we are to go and tell him his fault between, him, between thee and him alone. Let me tell you something. Don't wait on him to come to you. The Bible said you are to go. Well, I'm just going to sit here. They know what they've done. No, they might not know what they've done. And instead of you sitting there getting mad, getting more angry by the day, more bitter by the moment, the Bible just simply said, go to your brother. And then if he won't hear you, take two or three with you. And then if he won't hear them, tell it to the church. And if he won't hear the church, here's how you treat him. So I say to you, it is a private matter. A couple of things about that. If others are communicated with first, it is harder for the two concerned parties to actually meet together and fix the matter. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen a good church split? I'll tell you a lot of times, Brother Laddie, how that happens. Somebody over here gets upset with somebody over here. And instead of those two parties who are upset with one another coming together in a private setting, I'm not talking about you got to go in a Sunday school room or you got to, but at least you could come sit on the altar together, grab your brother by the hand, take him into the a pew somewhere, or come and set him on the altar and just say, look, I'm telling you right now, I feel like there's something between you and me. I want to get it out in the open. Whatever I've done, if you'll tell it. And listen, don't say whatever I've done if you know what you've done. Just admit to what you've done. Be a man, be a woman, be a Christian. Get it out in the open, confess your fault, and get it right. But here's what we like to do. Hey, did you hear about what so-and-so did to me? I'm going to tell you what so-and-so did to me. And if you don't stop it right there, they've now told you. And listen, Brother Laddie, you don't even have to believe it. But if you give ear to that, I don't care how much you don't want to believe it, you already start drawing a conclusion. You already start giving in. And now somebody's told 10 people over here. This person's told 10 people over here. And like it or not, you draw a conclusion and lines are divided and people are separated. And all of a sudden there's division in the preacher can't figure it out and husbands and wives are divided friends are divided and a church is divided just because two people didn't have the Christian decency to just get together alone alone I want to say this too the doer and the sufferer of the wrong must both seek an end to the matter what I want you to understand is when I say that to you, one may be willing to forgive and the other may not be willing to forgive. That's what the text is showing us in Matthew chapter number 18 and these other verses that I've read to you is that there may be one. He said, if you go to him and he will not hear thee, in other words, you may go and try to apologize to somebody or you may even go to a brother and say, listen, brother, you have offended me in this area and I just want to make it right. I, I, and, and he may not hear thee. And he said, and the Bible said, if he will not hear thee, then go and get two or three. Now, let me just tell you something. That doesn't mean you go down to the church and get to two 
two or three most carnal people that you can get and you know when you tell them about the situation, everybody else in the church is going to know because they are the go-to person for all the juicy gossip that everybody wants to know that goes on in the church. It's amazing how some people find out everything. I'm the last to know in my church, but there's some people, man, they might as well be the pastor there because they're the first ones to know every detail about everything that's going on. The only time I find out about it half the time is when the thing's about to fall apart and they want me to wiggle my nose and perform some kind of miracle to fix the situation when if they'd have just come to me in the first place or if they'd have just went to God in the first place and done what the Bible said to do, oh, happy day, we wouldn't even be having a problem. (laughs) But there is the possibility that your brother will not hear you. And the Bible said, go get two or three. And I'll tell you the two or three you ought to go get. The Bible said, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thine own self, lest thou also be tempted. If you have to go get two or three in the church and then go approach that brother or sister again, you are to find the most spiritual people that you can get a hold of. Somebody that won't take a side. Somebody that will tell you the truth while they tell them the truth. And somebody that will take you by the scriptures and help you and that person at the same time. Don't go get the most carnal people you can get a hold of just so they'll side with you. So if they will not hear... If they will not hear the two or three, the Bible said, tell it to the church. That's one thing we've got away from in our generation is telling things to the church. You say, well, I don't know. Well, this ain't my pulpit, and I'm not going to labor the fact, but the Bible does say that there is an importance in telling some things to the church. And the Bible said, because I'm going to tell you something about authority. God's authority comes straight through the local New Testament church. He is going to function through the local New Testament church. He wants you and I to function through the local New Testament church. That's why he gives you a pastor, a shepherd. That's why he puts leadership in the church. He wants us to be subject to the local New Testament church and honey the Bible said if that individual won't hear the church you count them as a heathen man and you don't fellowship with them there is a possibility but I want you to know this thing of forgiveness there is an approach and that approach must be private number two I want you to see this and I may labor this and not even finish the message but I want you to see not only the certain approach to forgiveness, but I want you to see the constant attitude involved in forgiveness. The constant attitude involved in forgiveness. Peter asked this question in verse 21. He said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. You see, Jesus is teaching Peter a few things here concerning his question. Number one, he is teaching Peter that forgiveness is not a question of arithmetic. It is a question of conduct. The word conduct by definition means the manner in which a person behaves, especially on a particular occasion or in a particular context. Can I just say to you and I that our spirituality and Christianity usually is not judged so much on how we act, it is rather on how we react to situations. 
Anybody can act a part. But when you react to something, it, it tells a whole lot more about who you are and what's going on on the inside because reaction comes from an action that is taking place towards you or around you or to you. And so your reaction shows how spiritual you and I really are. And so I would say to you that forgiveness, Jesus said to Peter, it's not a question of arithmetic, Peter. He said it's a question of conduct. He said, I'm not saying that you forgive your brother. Now he's talking about over the very same thing, over the very same sin. He said not seven times in a day, but 70 times seven. In other words, if you're multiplying, that's 490 times in one day. In other words, that's an impossibility really. And what Jesus is trying to tell him is that it does not matter how many times that your brother needs you to forgive him. You ought to be willing and waiting to forgive him no matter how many times it takes, no matter how many times he comes. I know what you're saying right now. I just can't do that. I mean, you don't know what they've done. And it's the same thing over and over and over again. I think they're taking advantage of me. I'm going somewhere in a minute, friend. Just stay with me because it'll get real good here in just a second. But I want you to understand that forgiveness is not about arithmetic. It's about conduct. You know what we're teaching these young people? How many of y'all go to the Christian school? There's a code of conduct here. Is that right? And the code of conduct says you're going to do it this way. This is how we're going to do it. Preacher said it this morning. It's our way or our way or hit the highway. Uh, one of the two. Uh, there is a code of conduct. And the code of conduct of the New Testament and all of Scripture and knowing Jesus Christ is the conduct of forgiveness. There's no other option. There's no other way. The child of God must be willing to always forgive. Not only is he teaching Peter that forgiveness is not a question of arithmetic but of conduct, but divine forgiveness, which is to be emulated, is unlimited. I mentioned to you 490 over the exact same sin. So if it was a different sin, that starts that numerical number all over again. <laughs> so, I mean, if he's done something, uh, you know, 274 times and you've forgiven that that day and all of a sudden he comes up with something new to sin against you with, then you've just started all over. You're hung up on 274 on this one thing. Now you're starting all over on number one with another. You say, that can't happen. You've never pastored a Baptist church. <laughs> it's not a matter of conduct, arithmetic. It's a matter of conduct. But divine forgiveness... That forgiveness that comes from God, which is to be emulated, that's the, that's the kind of forgiveness that you and I should be extending to others. It, it should be unlimited in our life. But here it is. Let me tell you what forgiveness really is. Let me tell you why it's not being practiced in our churches and among believers. I've heard things... It's amazing the things you hear through your life that are just really not true when you start studying it. When you really start looking at it biblically. You pull away all the layers of these little sayings we have and really break it down. We're in trouble. You know what forgiveness is? When you read this text and you understand it's not a matter of arithmetic, it's conduct, it's this divine forgiveness which has been extended to us and it's to be emulated. Jesus is our example. It's unlimited. Here's what you find out. Forgiveness is to forget. Now here's what I've heard all my life. Well, 
Only God can do that. Only God has the ability to forget. You see, God can forgive and forget, but I'm human and I, I don't have that ability. I can forgive, but I can never forget it. You're not really forgiven. You're just using a word that you don't understand what it means. The word forgive actually means forthgive, which is to dismiss absolutely from thought. I got three people that agreed with me right there. It means to forth... Go look it up. I'm not telling you anything you cannot find. It means to forth give, which actually means to dismiss absolutely from thought. Preacher, I just can't do it. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm glad God said he couldn't do it. I'm glad God didn't say he couldn't do it. I'm glad God was willing to do it. As a matter of fact, I want you to see when God forgives, he forgets. Jeremiah 31, 34, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Hebrews 8, 12, For I will be merciful unto their unrighteousnesses and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Hebrews 10, 17, He just breaks it all down and says it this way, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And God, what he did for you and I said this. Here's what hit me one day. You mean to tell me that the God of all knowledge who knows it all and the, the God who gave it all to save you and me the God who gave his son and put Jesus Christ on the cross in such a way that he had to turn the lights out on this world for three hours to deal with that sin that you and I were in and to put it away and nailing it to his cross and abolishing that record. You mean to tell me that that God, that same God can just turn his head and forget about what we've done? I mean, just, I mean, it's gone. He can just let it go. No, a thousand times no I'll tell you how he does it he chooses to forget and everybody wants to talk about the free will of man everybody, and I believe in it I'm not a Calvinist everybody wants to talk about how that God has given man the, the, the ability to choose and reckon and I believe that but the one place that we don't want to apply that to is when it comes to the arena of forgiveness. But I want you to understand something. Divine forgiveness, which is to be emulated, it's unlimited. And I'm telling you tonight, listen to me, there's a God in heaven. And you know what he's doing? He's standing there waiting on the next sinner to come. He's standing there waiting on the next backslider to come. He's standing there waiting on somebody here tonight who he's been dealing with, who he's been prodding on in your heart. 
He's standing there with great anticipation for you to come. I can see the prodigal's daddy right now. He's sitting on the front porch and he's looking over the hillside that his son walked across many days ago. And there he comes, a silhouette. And it looks like him and he stands and he says it is him. And he didn't wait till he got to the house, but he met him in the middle of the road with a great anticipation. And the son said, I'm no more worthy. And he wasn't even listening, but he was so anticipating the readiness to forgive. And he put him back in the family and he restored him completely. Oh, let me say tonight, you can forgive, but you got to forget. You see, there's another boy in that story. And his problem was he never forgot. Matter of fact, he thought daddy had so forgotten that he reminded him of everything. (laughs) He said, don't you know he wasted his substance? He lay with harlots. He's been in the far country and here he's come home and you've done all these things. Just wanted to remind you. As far as I can tell, he never forgave him. You know why? Because he wasn't willing to forget. You said, now hang on, preacher. You just hang on a minute. You don't know what. You don't know what's been done to me. I don't. But you look up here at me tonight. You don't know what's been done to me. I'm tired of the preacher having to be the one that always has to suck it up. Always has to be the one who's spiritual. Always has to be. What? Let me, let me just say something to you. What if your preacher just decided not to come to church next Sunday and didn't call? Well, I, just, you know, I thought we'd just, I mean, just watch it on Facebook. We just stream it. When we got somebody in the church streaming it for us. We just thought we'd stay home today and do that. Like he's never been through anything. Let me just say to you, I hear so many people tell me, Preacher, you don't know what that person did to me. Last time I checked, we were so guilty of what we did to Christ. You and I should be in hell with our back broke tonight, burning in the lake of fire, hotter. I'm telling you, friend, we should have no mercy, no grace bestowed on us, but there is a God in heaven who is willing to forget. He was willing to forgive. He was so ready. He was so willing. I wasn't even looking for Him, but He come looking for me. And when He found me, He was waiting to forgive. And here we are. Here we are with our noses in the air and a highbrow and everybody acting like that we're doing God some kind of favor just by being in church and putting a suit on and carrying a King James Bible. When is the last time you've forgiven like he forgave? You don't know. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. That's people's crutch. Well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what that church did to me. Are you kidding me, friend? I've had people stab me in the back, the face, the stomach. Are you kidding? Everybody's like, they stabbed me in the back. I've been stabbed everywhere. I've been lied on, lied to, lied about. I've been called everything but my name at times. And if I was going to use all that as some kind of anger and bitterness 
it, I'd be out of church. I wouldn't. I'd be out of church tomorrow. That's right. Amen. So you're right. Forget. You don't know what they've done. I don't have to know what they've done. I know what he done. I know what he's done for me and I'm probably a little bit ahead of myself. Let me hurry on, but I want you to understand. You say, Preacher, I just, there's no way I can forget. Well, let me try this on you. I see number three, the consideration of the account when it comes to forgiveness. I think once you consider the account, I want you to see the talents that were owed. He goes through these talents and he makes mention of them. I'm going to just run through this very quick. I think no matter... How you break these down, I know depending on who you read, they might say something a little bit different about it. But no matter how you break these talents down, the difference in the talents of these two men that, were, that they owed is an enormous amount. And it's an enormous difference. But just let me throw this on you. If a talent be taken in this text to mean a talent of silver, then according to the Roman calculation, 10,000 talents that this first man owed would amount to over one million pounds or to some three million dollars. This would be regarded as the human estimate. The human estimate. Which, I mean, if you say, well, that ain't no big deal. I mean, he had to, okay, somebody break it out tonight. We're going to pay the church off and build a new one before Jubilee gets here. Nobody. Okay. Such an estimate would be civilized and educated men. This is how they might form their idea of sin. Not a big deal. It probably can be handled and paid off in a lifetime, right? If the talent is according to the Jewish calculation, then 10,000 talents would represent over 3 million pounds and about $10 million. But this would be what we would call the legal estimate. And it would be such as the Jew under the law might regard uh, a form of sin against his God. It is under that law. It's, a, it's something that's really not attainable. Most of us will never see $10 million in our lifetime, uh, especially holding our hand at one time to pay some kind of debt off in our life. But if the talent be taken to mean a talent of gold, then the 10,000 talents would mean upwards of 50 million pounds or over $150 million, which absolutely is a colossal sum. And this can be made to represent the divine estimate or a sin being judged in the presence of God and the secret sins in the light of His countenance. What I mean is when you get sin in front of God, what I want you to understand about it is it's so vast, it's so much to see what God had to pay for your sins and for mine. There's no other thing that could have been paid. There's no other thing that could have been done outside of the ransom of his son. And so I say to you tonight, when you tell me I cannot forgive properly because preacher, there's no way uh, that I can see myself forgetting what has been done. I would say to you that you and I then have not taken time to consider uh, the amount or the account when it comes to forgiveness. And I want to just rehearse to you again and say uh, it took a whole lot to get you and I forgiven. It took everything heaven had to offer to get you and I here tonight. We're here tonight because God gave it all. He didn't give some. He didn't give part. He gave it all. He gave heaven's best to get you and I to heaven tonight. Oh, blessed day. You and I should be willing to forgive when we consider the account that was forgiven toward us. 
I don't care how, what kind of home you grew up in. I don't care. My kids, they've never, they've never listened. They've never been to, they've never heard a cuss word come out of my mouth. They've, they've never been and lived in the vileness that I lived in. And I know where your preacher come from. And, but I'm going to tell you something tonight. They were as lost. They needed that same God, that same blood, that same forgiveness. But oh, you hear me tonight. The account was large. It was growing every day. I was always sinning and I never tried to pay. But when I looked ahead and saw such pain and woe, I said that I would settle. But the only way I could settle is to get it settled through a payment that had been made toward my account. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, bless his name. There's not a sinner that can't be saved. He's already paid the bill. He's already made a check by the account. All they've got to be willing to do is go to the place where he made it and get it settled for their sake. The consideration, I tell you what our problem is. I know it's mine. I don't consider enough what he's done for me. So when it comes time to me, for me to extend, I don't have it in me because I've not took enough time to see what he's done for me. Number four, I'll quickly been through. I see the complete appearance that comes through forgiveness. The Bible said in this text, go back and read it. The Bible said that this first king, this, this first man, this first... Man who come, who owed. The Bible said this king was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. David is sitting on a throne. And as he sits there one day, he looks and he sees all the splendor of a vast array of meals and clothing and Beds and houses and lands. And he says, is there, any, is there any left of the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness of God unto him for Jonathan's sake? And they said, there's one. His name's Mephibosheth. And he's down in Lodabar. David said, go fetch him. You know why David said that? Because as David sat there in that vast array of everything he had, I believe his mind drifted back uh, to a shepherd's place where he was out taking care of sheep. uh, And he thought about that quaint place that he grew up in. uh, And he thought about the days that he had nothing. And he thought about the days when nobody knew who they were. And nobody knew the line of Jesse. And nobody knew the heritage that he had. Then all of a sudden, uh, a big God showed up one day in David's life. uh, And he slew a giant. And now everybody knows who David is and God's pouring grace into his life and power into his life and mercy into his life. And David sat there as long as he could take it and said, man, I've got to do for somebody what God's done for me. I've got to show somebody what God's done for me. And he said, I want to know, is there anybody I can show the kindness of God to? And I'm going to tell you something. If I was going to show the kindness of God to anybody, it wouldn't have been Saul's anybody. Are you listening? You can say what you want to about Jonathan. I got a little bit of a different take on him. I believe he is a great man. But he didn't go with David. He promised he would. 
He said, anything you want is. But when it came down to it, you know where he died? He died with his daddy. I believe he died out of the will of God. I believe if he'd have walked away from that palace and walked away from that kingdom and stuck by David's side, there's no telling what God could have done with those two men. There's no telling how great Jonathan could have been by David's side, but he died alongside of his daddy. You hear me? David looks up and he says, Is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him for Jonathan's sake? (laughs) After everything Saul had done, after after how he had treated David, there's no way I'd have been good to anybody in his family. David never hesitated. He brought him in, set him at the table and said, you'll never eat at your own table. You'll always eat at my table. You'll always eat it. You're always going to have provision. Here's the land back. Here's provision back. He said, you just make yourself at home. Forgiveness. This Bible said he was moved with compassion. I think about how Christ in his earthly ministry, the Bible said he saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion on them for they were, she saw them as sheep having no shepherd. I thought about how, this, how much this king resembled Christ. First of all, there was a great debt owed to him. Second of all, he was moved with compassion on the servant who owed it. Number three, he forgave all. Part of our problem is, is we don't want to forgive all. We might forgive some and we might forgive a little bit. But it's like, the, it's like the old preacher said. He said they want to, he said husbands and wives, he was preaching on the home and he said they want to bury the hatchet, but they want to leave the handle sticking out for the next argument that comes up so they can jerk it back up and beat them over the head with the past. This king, I'm talking about a large sum. I don't know how this man, Brother Laddie, got in such a shape with that king. I have no idea. But somehow, someway, this man got in such an enormity of debt. And Brother Gravely, really, to me, it's not even a great prayer. He just said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, have some mercy on me. If you'll just give me time, I'll pay it. You know what I would have said? You've had enough time. That's why they were there. I think he'd have extended him some time. But it's almost like it so touched his heart. You know why it touched his heart? Because whoever this king was, he, he was like God. He was just standing there just waiting. Just wanting, just just say the right word. Just give me a reason to forgive you. These kids, boy, they're great examples at times, ain't they? Two of these boys getting a knockdown, drag out fight. Bloody noses, cut eyes, knuckles bent up. Once they get done, they stand up and realize, now I just... I just punched my buddy. I just got a little sideways with my buddy. You give him a couple hours. And if we'll just leave them alone, Brother David, and not get in their way, well, they'll be hugging each other's neck and back out riding bikes together and climbing trees together and playing together again. Not you and me, though, right? Oh, no. Not adults. Not adults, Brother David. Not adults. He forgave all. But I thought about how this king resembled Christ in the fact that his servant was unthankful. And I thought about Christ. I thought about how that many times how I've been so unthankful for what he's done for me. 
And I've not been ready to extend that same forgiveness to other people who have crossed me, wronged me. You know why? I hate to admit this to you. If you're done with me, I would understand. I'm just not thankful like I need to be. David, that great psalmist, that great songwriter over and over. Go read those psalms. And it's like his heart is exploding time and time again in thankfulness and praise to a God who extended mercy into his life. I find myself, Brother Gravely, many times after situations being on the wrong end of my illustrations. I wish I could stand up here tonight and just, Miss Nolita, and talk about how I won and I I did the right thing when the wrong thing was there. And when this situation happened, I, I overcame and I did the right thing and I was a real good testimony for Christ. I just can't. Most of the time I'm so unspiritual. I, I have to. I'm talking about, y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about Brother David immediately after it's over. I've got my head hung once again. Man, why did I do that? Why did I act that way? Why did I say that? And then it comes. As quick as my mind can think it. As quick as it will pass through my heart. The answer's there. You're not like him. You're not like him. You're not like him. And the only way you can ever get to the place where you're like him is to start thanking Him for what He's made you to be. I close by talking to you just a moment about the callous ability, the callous ability when it comes to forgiveness. You see, I've mentioned this I guess a couple of times, but I would say to you that those who have been forgiven should be the first who should be willing to forgive. I mean, you can understand, Brother Laddie, somebody that's never, never heard something, felt something, been something, for them just to not know how to respond. But oh, friend, to us, it's like yesterday when I walked in as an 18-year-old boy to the New Life Baptist Church on the old grade road in Dalton, Georgia, I love hearing your preacher talk about when God saved him. and I knew where he lived. I know that neighborhood. I went to high school right there just across the road from where he lived. <laughs> it takes me back. God, I remember walking in the church that Sunday morning. I know where I was living. I know what I was living in. And oh, man, I tell you, God... 
I didn't even know God would meet me there. I didn't know God even wanted me there. I just knew I wanted my mama to shut up. I didn't want her to invite me to church. I knew I got up that morning and something in my soul was pulling me. It's like it was pulling me to go to church. I thought, man, i got to get this off me. And I just showed up. Little did I know God was going to show up. And little did I know that when I showed up, God was going to show up. And little did I know that God was going to be interested in doing something in me and doing something for me that I never dreamed that anybody could do. I see the callous ability. When I read this text, I, it strikes fear in me. When I read this text, I... I shake my head and I, 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 my, my heart is gripped with fear because of this servant's unforgiveness. This servant who has been forgiven this great debt with one, and that's how quick God's willing to forgive you tonight. This wasn't a fancy prayer. I mentioned it wasn't something in debt prayer. He just, I mean, just something for, and that king forgave him. And all of a sudden, as soon as he leaves, the Bible said uh, that the servant works with, he said, but the same servant in verse 28 went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. We're talking about pennies on the dollar compared to what this other man had owed. He owed him a hundred pence. He laid hands on him, took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest me. And the servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Are you listening to me? It's almost like a replay of what's just happened. Now we're not told that this is six months later, six weeks later, six days, six hours. Bible said he went out and as soon as he went out. I'm led to believe he ran across a man who owed him very minute, very little compared to the other. And the Bible said, son, come and help me. Come up here and help me put that Bible down. The Bible said he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat and he said, pay me. And, it, and Brother Gravely, it's amazing in the same in the same, the same agenda, the same approach. He got on his knees and he got before him to stay down there. He got before him and said, Please give me time. I mean, it's the exact same prayer. You would have think something would have leapt up in his heart and hit us in, oh, I'm so sorry. I've been where you're at. I forgive you. I'm so sorry. It's all forgiven. Don't ever worry. Go home to your family. But he didn't do that. He cast him into prison and he said, you'll be there till you pay me what you owe me. The callous ability when it comes to forgiveness. Number one, it's amazing. It's amazing because he had just been forgiven. It's appalling. The word appalling by definition means causing shock or dismay. Matter of fact, the people that watched that in that text, they were so shocked at that man's response to that other servant they went back and told the king what happened and how he handled himself. It is appalling to this world and God himself when he looks upon his people and they cannot forgive one another. It's amazing, it's appalling, and it's unacceptable. Did you read verse 35? Did you happen to read verse 35? 
It's unacceptable. The Bible said, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. It's unacceptable with God for us to sit around with unforgiveness in our heart when you and I have been forgiven and never deserved to be. I say this to you. She's playing softly. Listen to me. I believe the two greatest ways that a man can be like Christ are these. Number one, when he learns how to give. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came into the world and he gave himself for all mankind. And when you and I learn to give properly like Christ, we become like him. But the second greatest way that men become like Christ, it's not about putting on sandals and riding a donkey to church. It's not about carrying a King James Bible and putting on a suit and a dress. It's not about singing in the choir. It's not about how loud you shout and how good you testify. It's about how good you and I learn to forgive. Because if there's anybody that should have never forgiven a people, it is Jesus Christ. But in love and in grace and mercy, He has extended forgiveness, not to some, not to a few, but to us all. One of the greatest ways that you and I resemble Christ to a lost world and to one another is through the power of forgiveness. We're standing all over the building. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Brother David's getting ready to sing a verse of invitation. I wonder tonight, there may be somebody here you need to be forgiven. You've never been born again. And you need to know what it's like to truly be forgiven. He'll do that in just a moment. I mean, He'll save you right now. And there may be others here tonight. And before I would say to you to go and get that brother or sister that you may need to, what you might ought to do first is crawl around an old-fashioned altar and say, Lord, please, please help me to learn how to forgive.